0: Hello. Hello. Aisha. Hey. you are the girl that I never heard of. <laughs> Aisha. I'm Shereen Marisol Meraji.
1: I'm Gene Demby, and this is Code Switch
0: from NPR. And that person we're serenading with another Bad Creation's 1990 hit, Aisha, is the one, the only. Ayesha
2: Roscoe, and I cover the White House for NPR.
1: You know the rap though?
2: I don't know it, no. Ronnie, Bobby, Ricky, and Mike, Chris, Margaret, Dave, bro.
1: <laughs> this is how y'all start all the NPR politics podcasts, though, right? I'm sure. Pretty much. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if you listen to NPR's politics podcast or NPR at all, you know Aisha Roscoe.
1: Mm hmm, hmm. Aisha has spent the last four years covering Donald Trump and his administration. So we asked her, what was it like at this time during the last transition back in 2017?
2: Um, I mean, what what it was was just very chaotic. There was a question at that point in time whether Trump would even allow the press to stay in the White House, um, because technically there's no, no law that we have to be there um, and there's no law that he has to have a pool of reporters travel with him everywhere. That's just a norm. And so there was this idea that he would just kick us out. Aisha told us that
0: at the beginning of Trump's official start as president, she recalls being at the White House for an event. And when it was done, she says Trump dismissed the press pool, then called them back again and said a few more things, dismissed them only to call them back
2: again. He seemed to be realizing on that like second day in office that he could just call the press whenever he wanted. He had this captive audience. Um, And so I realized at that point that he would never kick the press out because he loved that attention.
1: So he had a captive audience. But, you know what I mean? Like, what was it like being in Trump's captive audience as a black woman journalist? That's what we talked to Aisha about on this episode of Code Switch, the very last episode of the Trump presidency. I feel like I'm jinxing
0: something. (laughs) And we are talking to you on Monday, January 18th, 2021, two days before Joe Biden is said to be sworn in as president of the United States. Did you think that maybe things might have slowed down for you <laughs> at this point in the
2: game? Did you think this is where we'd be? I, I, I definitely thought that things would be much slower right now, or I hope they would. I think I, I think it was a hope. I guess I should Mm -hmm. say it was a hope. Uh, It was a wish. It was a dream. And it did not come true. (laughs) It did not come true. So if things were
0: to work out the way you had hoped, wished and dreamed for them to have worked out by this time (laughs) in the Trump beat, what would your life be like?
2: Normally what happens with a president who is no longer um, going to be president, a lame duck, Things really quiet down and it's not the fast paced, got to get this done. This is important breaking news. It's just kind of like, this is history. This is what happened. A little bit of housekeeping. Yeah, it's like housekeeping. It's it's not front of mind because generally it's the person that's coming in. That's where everyone's attention is. But that is not obviously what happened in this situation.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. gift for understatement. So just in the past two weeks, yeah. um, we've seen obviously an insurrection at the Capitol building, you know, by Trump supporters Urged on by Donald Trump Donald Trump said he wasn't going to come to the inauguration On Wednesday um, And he became the first president In the history of the United States to be impeached Twice um, So what has it been like On your beat, like, to cover <laughs> cover this Over the last couple of weeks
2: uh, oh, Just over the last couple of weeks What it's been like
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just since The <laughs>
2: No, I, I mean, it's not even, like, I will say the last few weeks have been really kind of like a final, like, traumatic thing happening, like, and scary. Like, there are all these moments in covering Trump where it feels like you really don't know what's about to go down. And this seemed like the final moment of that. I mean, this past year has been intense. Uh, He got coronavirus. Like, we found that out at one in the morning. Oh, right. I forgot about that. Yeah, he got coronavirus. Yeah. And he got, you know, had to rush off to the hospital. And so these are the things you're thinking, like, there have been so many moments where it's like, what happens next? What Mm -hmm. what comes out of this? Two weeks left, I thought we wouldn't have had that. I thought we had passed that point, but we Mm -hmm. weren't. Like, there was going to be one more, and this was going to be the one that that really topped everything else because it was the But we the most have no damaging. idea how
0: Wednesday is going to go. <laughs> we
2: don't. In light of January 6th. We don't. And that's the other scary thing is that it's ongoing.
0: You know, a lot of people have talked about this past month of events being upsetting. Yes. Surprising. Not so much. Donald Trump has been stirring up all of these white racial grievances since before he was even in office. So... Having reported on the presidency for the last four years, what's your take on that, that upsetting yes, surprising no?
2: I mean, it surprised me not because Trump hadn't already been stirring this pot, but to actually see it come together. Like he had been lighting matches for a very long time and I had seen the matches, but he had seen they hadn't ignited completely. I guess it's like you're watching something for four years. He's come out of everything, impeached the first impeachment, the Russia investigation. He's had all these rallies. He said all this wild stuff. He's attacked all these people. And yet it hasn't gone to uh, the the place of really no return. Mm-hmm.
1: So much has happened over the last few years when it comes to race in particular. So we just want to take you, Aisha, back to a moment that a lot of people may have forgotten by now. This was something President Trump said way back, way back last year in 2020.
2: Make America great again. By
0: the way, they love African American people. They love black people.
2: MAGA (laughs) loves black people.
1: I feel like if you have to say that though, you know what I mean? Like then. You, and then what it,
2: what was interesting about that was he was setting black people apart from MAGA. So black people are not a part of MAGA because <laughs> oh, MAGA, love, yes, exactly. MAGA loves MAGA loves right. them. <laughs> Um, yeah, that was an example of like something that anybody else said, something like that. That would be like, you, no, you would never forget it. Trump said that and nobody even remembers it. But I remember that Saturday morning. You know, this was when there was all the unrest over the summer. Trump had said when the looting starts, the shooting starts. They were talking about trying to bring in the military. But this mm. was when President Trump was saying he wanted his supporters to come out. Uh, and, and really it's kind of foreshadowing what happened. He wanted, so he was seeing all the unrest by the white house. There were reports that he went into a bunker. So his response was, well, I want my supporters to come out here. Um, and, and so people were Mm -hmm. like, well, what are you trying to start a race war? What do you mean? You want your supporters to come out and what fight black lives matter? And then, because people were saying, well, what are you trying to say? You're trying to start a race war. Then he, his response is, oh, no, I'm not. MAGA loves the black people. And so, <laughs> I'm not, <laughs> So, we What? So, I mean, but I remember talking to my editor, um, who, is, who is black, uh, you know, and, like, and both of us being, like, our brains were kind of fried. Like, we just couldn't believe what we were hearing. And I went back and listened to it a bunch of times. Did he say the black? Did he say the? these say the black people cuz i want to make sure so i'm like but well, let me go back and listen a few. like it just kind of it blew i think it, for both of us it was just like what is going on in this world you laugh at it because it's so ridiculous but it was always sinister like looking at it now even then it was you know this very serious moment but looking at what happened on the 6th You can even see the seeds of it in that, this idea that I'm going to call my supporters Mm -hmm. out and then they're going to show you guys what's going on. it's, It's been there and it's been building. More Aisha after the break. It's only so many black women in that space and we all know each other. And those insults that he did, it felt like he was going down the line.
1: Stay with us. This message comes from Spanish Aki Presents from Earwolf. Each week, this podcast highlights Latinx comedy and discusses culture and experiences with exciting guests like Luis Guzman, first Latina Disney princess Amy Carrero, and Pitbull. Hosted by comedians Carlos Santos, Riza Licea, Oscar Montoya, and Tony Rodriguez. Listen to Spanish Aki Presents in your podcast app now and subscribe so you don't miss an episode.
2: Support for NPR and the following message come from Yogi Tea. These days, self-care can feel like just another task on your never-ending to-do list. But finding time for yourself doesn't have to be complicated. In fact, it can be as simple as brewing yourself a cup of Yogi Honey Chai Turmeric Vitality Tea. Step away from the chaos of the day and support your well-being with this delicious blend of turmeric and warming chai spices. Find your flow with Yogi Tea. President Biden campaigned on uniting the country. He now takes office just weeks after a pro-Trump insurrection. The NPR Politics Podcast is there every day to break down the transition of
0: power as Biden takes the reins in Washington. Jean. Shireen.
1: Code Switch.
0: And we're back with NPR's White House correspondent, Ayesha Roscoe.
1: The last time you came on the podcast on Code Switch, you spent months, like, going through all of Donald Trump's tweets. Which one? <laughs> you were a masochist. Thank you for, for, for doing that for us. You're such a brave yes. uh, You were cataloging specifically the ways that Trump was talking about, you know, black political figures. People, you know, generally knew that he was tweeting racist stuff, right? Everyone knew that. Um, so why, looking back on it, like, why was it so important for you to get into the specifics of the texture of his tweets?
2: So, and, and that's something I've been thinking about a lot now and that I do, I, I feel, I don't want to say justified, but I do feel like I, that was important work. Um, the mm-hmm. reason why I felt like it needed to be done is because I felt like Trump said so many things and he did it with such frequency that people quickly would forget or it became just kind of like background noise or people would just go, oh, well, he talks about everybody. Um, but when you actually sit down and you look at his tweets, you realize he doesn't just talk about everybody in the same way. Eric Swalwell uh, in the House, a Democrat, would always be talking about Trump, saying all sorts of stuff. And he never really got that many tweets from Trump, maybe got like one or two. Um, Because that wasn't the person who he wanted to elevate, Mm -hmm. Uh, who he wanted to elevate as his opponent were um, black women, Maxine Waters. Mm -hmm. Uh, He wanted to elevate the squad, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ayanna Pressley, uh, Ilhan Omar, and, uh, you know, Rashida Tlaib, he wanted to elevate them. Nancy Pelosi, a-, a woman, he wants to elevate certain people and he will go after them in certain ways. Like, you know, he might go after Robert Mueller, uh, who was uh, investigating him for the things that he did, but he didn't go after him for his intelligence. But the people that he called stupid were, uh, a lot of times, they were people of color. Um, that, so Maxine Waters would be low IQ. In the midterms, out of all the candidates that he talked about, uh, the Democrats, the only one that he called incompetent was Stacey Abrams when she was running for governor. But the only way you know that is you have to go through all the tweets because otherwise mm-hmm. it's all just noise and you think, oh, he's just talk about everybody. No, he only, he didn't call anybody else incompetent. The only one who he called incompetent and, unex- and didn't have enough experience, I don't know if she has what it takes, is Stacey Abrams.
0: We talked about how much dehumanizing language Trump used uh, against people of color specifically and women of color on the podcast. Uh, and it, it felt like that story just kind of came and went. And you mentioned uh, in the answer to this question that you feel justified in cataloging his tweets because it really showed something very specific about him and his racism. Do you feel like your colleagues were as concerned about that as, as you were about Trump's
2: racism? I, I never had people necessarily push back on me wanting to talk about things. There, there were times where I think sometimes people might be a little bit like, I, you know, are we going to say this is because he's racist? Is this racism, too? <laughs> you, know, like, mm-hmm. you know, people were a little like, are we bringing race into this, too? Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that there's been an evolution in the way that people look at Trump especially in the beginning where I think just in general as an industry, there were people who just felt like, well, yeah, it is everything really about race here yet. Yeah, maybe Trump just says things. He doesn't really mean it that way. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, and, and this very clear thing, well, we don't want to make, the people that support trump feel like just because they support him this has anything to do with race and i I do think Mm. over time you've seen this shift where people realize oh no this is this is all about race and you know there used to be those the defense of the the idea that well people that voted for trump they couldn't be motivated by race because some of them also voted for obama Um, which to Mm -hmm. me was always a silly talking point. It never made sense as someone who lives in the U.S. and knows that race has never been that simple. It's never been that, you know, people you can vote for yeah. a black man, that doesn't mean that you don't, you're not motivated by race. Like you can have, you know, your black friend over, you can have your, you know, the person raising your children can be black. You love that person, but you still don't like the other black people. So it's, it's this has always <laughs> been a part of it, right? Mm-hmm.
0: I agree with you on that point, but I feel like that evolution you brought up has been really slow. <laughs> yes, yes. It feels like it feels like almost that people some people waited till January sixth to go, Okay, maybe maybe uh, <laughs> this was about race. Well they uh, had a the
2: Confederate flag, so maybe Yeah <laughs> this mm-hmm. isn't exactly. just about race. And they heritage. busted into the Capitol with guns. <laughs> yes. I do think it's been slow. Like, I think it's been slow. And the thing is, the maybe the, the media or certain people in the media did not get it, but his followers always got it. They knew what he was saying. They knew, you mm. know, they, they mm-hmm. could make, they they filled in the dots. They knew exactly what he's saying when he's saying Maxine Waters is low IQ. They know exactly what he was saying when he was saying those football players shouldn't kneel and calling them SOBs. They knew exactly what language he was using, and and what uh, message he was trying to send forth.
0: Yeah, I, I did this piece ahead of the 2016 election from Montana. Remember that one, Gene?
1: Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: I interviewed pro-Trump people in Montana, Aisha, and they were believing all kinds of conspiracy theories about terrorists coming to their rural towns because of refugee resettlement. Sharia law goes against our constitution, right. goes against the laws of our land. It's being practiced in 20 states in this country. They want to convert us or they want to kill us. Right. And, and I remember being scared. And I mentioned this to colleagues who were like, oh, there's nothing to be worried about. That's a fringe element. They've always been there. You know, they were totally shrugging it off. And I look back now and I think, man, my gut to be that scared was right. Like, I should have trusted my gut.
2: Yeah, you know I, I I think the the create you know when you create this alternate reality and people really have bought into it um and they've been buying into it and it's always it what's interesting now is that back then the the bad guys were the terrorists coming over the border or whatever and and then it became you know it's just basically the the left and the the liberals and the cities and antifa and black lives matter like that's where Mm -hmm. it ended at um, is yeah. it ended with the cities where they have all this unrest? It's going to come to where we're at. Basically, the black and brown people are going to come in here and they're going to take us over.
0: Aisha, as you know quite well, during Trump's time in office, he became known for verbally harassing the media in general, but particularly black women reporters. <laughs> mm-hmm. If you don't mind, um, we're going to play a little bit of a highlight reel, or I'm sorry, a low light reel, <laughs> uh, of Trump harassing black women reporters. It starts with Yamiche Alcindor from PBS asking a question, and we're also going to hear from CNN's Abby Phillip in this.
2: Some people saw that as emboldening white nationalists. Now people are also saying that, say that the president. I don't know why you that. It's pres-
0: such a racist there question. There are
2: some people that say that yeah. now.
0: What a stupid question that is. But I watch you a lot. You ask a lot of stupid questions. The reason the same thing with April Ryan. I mean, you talk about somebody that's a loser. She doesn't know what the hell. So what was it like reporting on a president who has been called out over and over again for his horrible comments about black women?
2: You know, it was it was tough. Like, I never caught it the way those reporters, you know, I, I, I had um towards the end, you know, I asked a question that Trump didn't like and he got an attitude with me, but I never got it the way they did and never to that extent. But being a black woman in that space and like when he was talking mad at Yamish over that white nationalist question I was sitting right beside Yamish mm. after that happened. Mm. And, you know, obviously I know her, she's a friend and I remember just like doing the what you do in those situations when it was done, like you did a you did good. You did a good job. You asked a great question. Um, that's what I told her. And I obviously know April Ryan, Abby Phillips, you know, there are only so many black women and we all know each other. And it's only Mm. so many black women in that space. And those insults that he did, they happened in a space of time right after the midterms. And so it felt like he was going down the line. You know, it was like, Mm. well, who Uh. is next? Like, it's only like, you know, so many of us for him to attack. And there were times, you know, obviously I I don't catch it. Like I said, I haven't had death threats like other people have had. But when I did that story on him, you know, the way he talked about black people and I said that Trump was calling Maxine Waters low IQ. Someone tweeted at me. Well, she is low IQ and so are you. You're low IQ, too. And you can't talk. And, you know, the way you speak and da, 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 da. I mean, they were using the Uh. same, you know, the same language against me. And so those same attacks are turned back around. And so it has, I think in some ways, obviously it has taken a toll. It has been a lot. You know, I won't dismiss that it hasn't been a weight. It has been a weight. Remind
0: us what he did to you, because I remember that um, being on social media.
2: He got mad at a question that I did, um, and this was during the coronavirus, Uh, President Trump uh, I asked him a question. I think this was at some point where there had been, we had reached another milestone in deaths. He had done an event and everybody was just, you know, sitting around talking about what a great job they had done responding to the coronavirus. And so I asked the question like, you're taking credit for these things that you say have gone right. You want credit for what the government has done. Do you take any responsibility, Do you take any responsibility for, uh, you know, however many thousand people had died at that point? Um, mm-hmm. and he answered, minimal numbers
0: were, minimal numbers were going to be a hundred thousand people. But
2: then after that, minimal he, he, you could tell he was upset. And then when I tried to ask, okay. ask a follow-up later on or ask another question later uh, on, Mr. President, Mr. President, I, I he know went, you, went Oh, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. Does anybody else have okay, a question?
0: Hold it one second. Any other questions from any other people?
2: No. Mm-hmm. Okay. Thank, thank you very we're much. done. Everybody. Like, it was just like a power play. Like, I'm t- mm. <laughs> like, you not getting another question and like, But it was never anything like on the level of other people. But he did get an attitude with me. But you could see how quickly it shifts and how quickly you become the person who is under attack for some reason.
1: So and I'm just curious about what you make of this, the way we cover politics, right? Like one of the things that happens in the news media, particularly around sort of partisan politics, is we cover things. So Democrats want this and Republicans want this. And you could see the the... There's always been, like, a lot of limitations to both, like, what that means for, like, American political discourse. But I think we saw that really clearly during the Trump administration was that a lot of stuff that he was doing and the response to that stuff was sort of framed as, like, partisan fighting, right? Yeah. Like, I was curious what you think of what we should do with that framing. Going forward, because it seems like ca- talking about these things as Democrat and Republican problems or Democrat and Republican disagreements sort of flattens all of the other dimensions of the stuff that was happening during the Trump administration.
2: It, it does. And I think that this has been an issue that the media is definitely still trying to grapple with, because there there were uh, obviously at time, there there were. F- false equivalents right like there were this mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. it, these weren't necessarily like fights over like i'm gonna raise taxes or lower taxes these were just like fights over like what is actual reality you, you know th- mm-hmm. there there was no comparison like there, you couldn't go like well trump called Amarosa Manigault newman a dog but nancy pelosi said i want you know to tax people who make more money like there's not they're two totally different <laughs> like you can't like do what there's no it's not the same like the language is just not the same right like and it's not like a a bias to say it it's just a fact like it's just not it's not the same and i think we've we've seen that play out and that it's not the same and so i think that at a certain point it is not um objective to have someone over here like you know saying all sorts of things not playing by any of the rules you know not doing any of the and then try to say well but people on the other side don't tie their shoes sometimes it's not <laughs> it's not <laughs> that is not objectivity and I think that people have to come to to terms with that like it's 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 not being objective to say where well, they both do the same thing when they're not doing the same thing
0: This podcast episode is going to drop on the last day of the Trump presidency. What do you think are going to be the lasting effects of all of this chaos, especially when it comes to talking about race? Yeah.
2: The lasting effect on this country, I think there is obviously just it's not something that Trump came up with, racism and and white supremacy. That's not something that he came up with. But that is something that that white grievance that he played upon and that he intuitively knew was something that he could ride to the top of the U.S. power structure. And that's what he did. Mm -hmm. And that the way that he did that and the way that he went about that, I think that that has changed. It's changed the way politicians talk about each other, the things that they're willing to say about each other. And it's not about just trying to be polite, but when you start talking about people as enemies and as stupid, it ends up with violence because you're making people be less than human. And so I think that Opening that door to politicians being more willing to say those things is something that I think we will be feeling the effects of for a long time. And I do think it's damaging. I do hope that that slow evolution we talked about with the media kind of having the scales fall off their eyes when it comes to race and and seeing that these are real issues— I hope that that continues and and hopefully escalates and and goes Mm -hmm. faster um, than it's been (laughs) going. I I do hope that that continues and that people realize that that anger and all those things that drove these people to the Capitol with, you know, Confederate flags, with white supremacist, you know, anti-Semitic T-shirts and that all of these things have been building in this country for a very long time, and and that we need to n- not act as if um, those things don't exist,
0: or they're fringe, or
2: they're fringe, um, because they're very they're very mainstream, right? They're very mainstream. So that's what my hope is. I don't know what exactly happens though. And I will say, too, that Trump leaves with a black woman, a a woman of color as vice president coming into office. He leaves with, you know, Stacey Abrams elevated after he called her incompetent um, with two Democrats coming from Georgia to be in the Senate. So he leaves with people that he spoke out against elevated. And, and yeah. you know, and a lot of the, the black women reporters that he went against are also doing very well. Yamisha, Cindora, Abby Phillips, April Ryan. So, you know, I don't know exactly what to say. You can't keep you can't keep a good woman down. So, you know, I don't know. But I mean, so yes. that, that is also a part of the legacy of like, you know, he said and did all those things. But a lot of people have still, you know, been able to do great things in all of that.
1: That was NPR White House correspondent Aisha Roscoe reflecting on her past four years that she spent covering the Trump administration. And y'all, that is our show. We made it, y'all, all of us. We made it to the end of this era.
0: <laughs> <sighs> yes, we made it. And as a nation, we are likely to be dissecting the lasting effects of this administration for decades to come. As a team, the Code Switch team, we're also going to take some time to think about this next phase of American history that we're getting into. What big issues will get new light under the Biden-Harris administration? What do we need to dig into deeper, regardless of who's in office? And who are the artists and activists and cultural leaders we need to be paying more attention to? Mm -hmm. And, And what role will COVID play in all this? Oh, my God. Yeah. Hopefully not one for too much longer. It's a lot.
1: It's, it's a lot. So we're going to spend the next few weeks reporting and reflecting and processing. And we want to hear from y'all. So tell us what stories you think we need to be telling. Who should we be talking to? Email us at codeswitch at npr.org with the subject line race in 2021 to let us know.
0: And you can follow us on Twitter or IG. Remember, we're at NPR Switch.
1: And subscribe to our newsletter, which is very, very dope. You can find our newsletter at npr.org slash Newsletter.
0: This episode was produced by Kumari Devarajan and edited by Leah Danella. It was fact-checked by Natalie Escobar and our new intern, Summer Tomad.
1: Welcome, Summer. And a shout-out to the rest of the Code switch Massive. You got Karen Grisby-Bates. You got Jess Kung. You got Alyssa Jong Perry. You got L.A. Johnson. And, of course, Steve Drummond. Who are you? I am Gene Dempe. <laughs> and you? I
0: am Shireen Marisol Meraji. Y'all be easy. Peace. On that tip, I'm definitely looking forward to watching Sonia Sotomayor swear in Kamala Harris because that's history right there. Yes. You know, a Puerto Rican Supreme Court justice swearing in a black and Asian woman vice president. I. I get emotional thinking about that.
2: <laughs> it's a big deal, and I know Jean will appreciate this. She is, you know, oh, she's, it's a, it's a, she's a Howard, a Howard
1: yeah, grad. I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. I was <laughs> surprised got this she, far. Okay. She
2: is, but you know, Kamala Harris is a Howard grad, um, so, uh-huh. so it's someone— and HBCU and someone, you know, from Howard University, the Mecca, which I also graduated <laughs> from. And so that, there's you also know? that. that, did, that, you know that, that? Did, did you know that? Did you know that? I did not know that.
1: <laughs> as soon as you wake up, you need the latest. That's why Up First is here. It's NPR's morning news podcast. In just 10 minutes or so, you can start your day
0: informed. Listen to Up First on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcasts.